and it means the second law. And the reason that it's called that, because remember, is the children of Israel are at this point in their history, they're poised to go into the promised land. And as I mentioned to you that this is the fifth of the book of Moses, and we have gone through Genesis, and of course Genesis means beginnings. We saw the beginning of creation in the world. Uh, we saw the beginning of uh, man's sin and the consequences of sin, a fallen world now. God bringing judgment in, in the flood, and then after the flood, of course, there was Abraham that was called by God to go to the land that he would show them. And he gave that promise to Abraham that I will make your descendants many and your stars shall number the, uh, or your descendants shall number the stars in the sky. And it's important for us to kind of get that timeline to understand what it is that's taking place here as we go through these books of the Old Testament of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. God gave a promise to Abraham as he brought Abraham into the land of Canaan, and he said, look around, Abraham, and everything that you see from the north and the south and the east and the west is going to be given to you and your descendants. So we have the Abrahamic covenant that, that he received, that promise, and then that would pass along through his descendant Isaac, and then the covenant would be also reiterated to Jacob. Jacob would have 12 sons, which are the patriarchs to the 12 tribes of Israel. One of those sons, Joseph, you recall at the end of the book of, of Exodus, that Joseph would then be taken to Egypt. And he would, by the mighty hand of God working in Joseph's life, and we don't have time to go into it all, but he would end up being the prime minister of Egypt. And he would bring his family, Jacob and, and the rest of his brothers, into Egypt because there was famine. And Joseph, because of godly wisdom, had come up with the plan that we're going to store up food. So the only food that was really that anybody could get at that time was in Egypt. So Jacob and his family come, 75 in totality. They come to Egypt, and there the Pharaoh would give them a place to stay. Well, of course, they would begin to multiply the descendants, the sons of Jacob, and the nation grew, and 400 years would pass. They were becoming a mighty nation, about 3 million people. And there the Pharaoh at that time looked out and he saw that, hey, they're multiplying greatly, and so we need to do something. And, of course, they would be under the bondage and the slavery of Egypt. He tried to kill the male children and drown them in the Nile River. But, of course, at that time it would be no, uh, Moses that would be preserved as he would be floated down in an ark down the Nile River. We know the story of Moses as you go into the book of Exodus, that eventually Moses would go out into the wilderness uh, after he was 40 years old for the next 40 years of his life. He would then see that wonderful sight at the mountain of God, that bush that was on fire but not being consumed there on Mount Sinai. God called Moses to go and to, back to Egypt and free the children of Israel, and that's what he did. Uh, he would be used by God uh, to be that messenger and used of God to lead the children of Israel as the mighty hand of God with the plagues would come down upon Egypt. They would leave orderly ranks. They would go through the wilderness to the mountain of Sinai. And there in the book of Exodus, 
God made a covenant with his people. He gave them the law. He made a covenant with them. We talked about it even this last Sunday in the book of Hebrews as it was the writer of Hebrews there in chapter 12 that was telling those Hebrew believers, you remember what it was like for your descendants when they came to the mountain of God, when it shook and, and smoke came from the mountain and there was fire and an earthquake and the sound of a trumpet and the, and the voice of God and the people trembled and even Moses trembled. Well, as God established his covenant and gave them the law, we see that also in the book of Exodus, it would be the building of the tabernacle, the instructions given to Moses, shown the pattern of the tabernacle, and so that's what they did for about a year. In the second year of their exodus, we see that then the Lord, in the book of Leviticus, as you move into the book of Leviticus, God giving those priests, the descendants of Aaron, their duties, their responsibilities. This is how you do the sacrifices. And so the book of Exodus talks about how they came out of Egypt, takes place to the second year of their exodus where they had built the tabernacle, the furnishings of the tabernacle, and then 30 days time frame for the book of Leviticus as the priests, as the tabernacle was built, they were instructed how they were to minister. So they were all ready to go. They were ready physically. They were ready spiritually. They were ready as a nation as the law was given to them, the ceremonial laws, the civil laws. And so God would say at that point, that you are to move from Mount Sinai up to Kadesh Barnea. And that's where we see in the book of Numbers. And they would go in the second year of their exodus up to the border of the promised land. And we're going to see that Moses is going to recount the story about how they would not enter into the land. So that generation would die out there in the wilderness. So for another 38 years, they would wander in the wilderness and then as we see the stories of the book of Numbers. It covers a time span of 38 years. It tells about their disobedience, uh, their unbelief. It talks about how they were ones that murmured and complained against the provision of the Lord. So we end it with the book of Numbers there as they have come up now to the east side of the Jordan River. They're getting ready to go into the promised land. So the book of Deuteronomy, again, in the Septuagint, called the second law. It's called that not because there's a new set of laws that are going to be given to the children of Israel. It is called the second law because this is a new generation and there needs to be an official reading of the law. So this is Moses' farewell address to the nation before he dies. The book of Deuteronomy is going to end with Moses going on Mount Nebo and dying. He's not going to enter into the promised land. So this is a series of sermons that Moses is going to give to them. He's going to reiterate the law. So a lot of things that he will recount and a lot of things that are spoken of here in the book of Deuteronomy, which covers a time frame of about 30 to 40 days. That's all. Before Moses dies and then the book of Joshua, Joshua leads the children of Israel into the promised land. So kind of a quick review here so we know chronologically where they're at at this time. And so the book of Deuteronomy here, an important book for us. Now you may be thinking, well, we're going to go over those things again. 
Here's the thing to remember about the book of Deuteronomy, that it is quoted over 80 times by the writers of the New Testament. So the writers of the New Testament were very familiar with the book of Deuteronomy. And of all the books of the Old Testament that Jesus quoted from, he quoted mostly, uh, or most of the quotes, or uh, the number one uh, of uh, the number of times quoted from a book is from the book of Deuteronomy. So it was a favorite of our Lord. It was one that the the New Testament writers were very familiar with, and so we want to be familiar with it as well. And so before we poo-poo the book of Deuteronomy and we think it isn't important or somebody makes a negative comment, you go to Bible study on Wednesday night to study the book of Deuteronomy. Just remind them that the Lord, he quoted from the book of Deuteronomy more than any other Old Testament book. And so let's begin to look at the book of Deuteronomy as we read. These are words with Moses spoke to all Israel on this side, that is the east side of the Jordan, in the wilderness, in the plain opposite Suf, between Paran and Tophil and Leban and Hazaroth and Dizahab. It is 11 days' journey from Horeb, that is Mount Sinai, by way of Mount Seir to Kadesh, Bernia. Now it came to pass in the 40th year, in the 11th month, on the first day of the month, that Moses spoke to the children of Israel according to all that the Lord had given him as commandments to them. After he had killed Sihon, king of the Amorites, who dwelt in Heshbon, and Og, king of Bashan, who dwelt at Astaroth and Edrei, and on this side of the Jordan, in the land of Moab, Moses began to explain this law saying. So here we're told that as they're at Mount Sinai again, At Mount Sinai, God made his covenant with his people. He told them in Exodus chapter 19, Consecrate yourself because I'm going to show myself to you in three days. And that's where the mountain shook. And they were afraid. They said, Moses, you go up on the mountain. So Moses would go up on the mountain. He would receive the law and the instructions to the tabernacle in the building of the tabernacle. It would there be after the construction of the tabernacle and the furnishings and all that, which took about a year. The Lord says, you're going to now move up to the border of the promised land, to the border of the wilderness there. And from Kadesh Bernia, you're going to enter into the promised land. And that's where they would send spies in. So he's going to recount that um, story once again here in Deuteronomy that we went over in Numbers chapters 13 and 14, right? So it should have taken them from the time they were at Mount Sinai, received the law of God, and finished the tabernacle. And the, the, the Levites and the priests were all ready to go in their tabernacle ministry. It should have just taken them 11 days to go up to the border of promised land and then go into it. Instead, they ended up another 38 years. So as we talked about last week, as we saw all their movements in chapter 33, a historical record of all the places that they stopped in those 40 years. I want to remind you, there was a lot of activity, there was a lot of movement, but there wasn't any progress towards the promised land. And what my prayer is for us, you think about it, 38 years in the wilderness waiting for that generation to die because they would not go into the promised land. And we discuss a huge, huge lesson in the book of Numbers, what can keep us from entering into the promised land in our spiritual life. That is, the Lord doesn't want us to be out there in the wilderness where it is barren and dry and hot and our 
spiritual experience. He desires for us to move into the promised land, that is, to possess what he has for us, to be established in his promises, to be full of joy, to have the peace of the Lord, the strength of the Lord in our lives, just to be established in his ways and established in the Lord, to experience that abundant life that Jesus promised. He said, I came to give you life and life abundantly. But oftentimes we will spend time out in the wilderness. And how they spend a lot of time out there instead of moving into the promised land because of unbelief, because of disobedience, because of murmuring and complaining. So it's important for us to understand that and important lessons that we learned in the book of Numbers that we even see here. 11 days, and it ended up being 38 years. And what my prayer is for all of us is that we would move from Egypt, which is the world. The Lord has delivered us from the world. We are now saved from the bondage of sin and from the penalty of sin, and we can move now into the promised land as the Lord guides us and directs us as, as we are established in him and are trusting in him, completely surrendering to him. But also in verse 5, I think there's an important principle there. We're going to see again that Moses is going to give them a series of sermons. He's going to repeat the law. He's going to reiterate and re- give a, a recount of their history, what happened to them in the wilderness, wandering to this new generation. And it says here in verse 5 that he began to explain this law saying. You see, that's a good principle for any of us who desire to disciple others or to teach others. You explain God's word to them. You explain it to them. You don't have to try to be clever. You don't have to be so philosophical. You don't have to, you know, think... How can I emphasize in just being humorous and funny? Nothing wrong with being humorous or funny. But what we are to do, our primary responsibilities, moms and dads, as you teach your children, if you're teaching and discipling those in a small group at work or maybe a home fellowship or teaching children in the children's ministry, me as a pastor, is that our primary responsibility is we are to explain the Word of God to others that we're sharing with to teach them, to explain to them what God's word has to say. And that's what Moses is doing here. And so verse 6, the Lord, uh, our God, spoke to us in Horeb, saying, You have dwelt long enough at this mountain. Turn and take your journey and go to the mountains of the Amorites, to all the neighboring places in the plain, in the mountains and in the lowland, in the south and on the seacoast, in the land of the Canaanites and to Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. See, I've set the land before you, go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them and their descendants after them. So the covenant that God, the Abrahamic covenant that that was made clear back in the book of Genesis chapter 12, that Abraham, all this land is going to be given to you and your descendants. God is going to be faithful to bring them now into the promised land. This is the land that you're going to possess. Go in and possess it. And so he gives the borders of the promised land here, and that's what they were to do. And then verse 9, And I spoke to you at that time, saying, I alone am not able to bear you, and the Lord your God has multiplied you, and here you are today as stars of heaven in multitude. May the Lord God of your fathers make you a thousand times more numerous than you are, and bless you as he has promised you. How can I alone bear your problems and your burdens and your complaints? Choose wise understanding and knowledgeable men from among your tribes and I will make them heads over you and you answer me and said the thing which you have told us to do is good and verse 15 so I took the heads of your tribes 
wise and knowledgeable men and made them heads over you, leaders of thousands, leaders of hundreds, leaders of fifties, leaders of tens, and officers for your tribes. Then I commanded your judges at that time, saying, Hear the cases between your brethren, and judge righteously between a man and his brother, or the stranger who is with him. You shall not show partiality in judgment. You shall hear the small as well as the great. You shall not be afraid of any man's presence, for the judgment is God's. The case that is too hard for you, bring to me, and I will hear it. And I commanded you at that time all these things which you should do. So you may recall there in Exodus chapter 18 that it was Jethro, the father-in-law of Moses, as he would observe Moses hearing the cases of the people. The people lined up to hear the cases and the complaints and all the different things. I mean, you had two and a half to three million people. You don't think there was some problems? Of course there were some problems. There were some serious problems and neighbors fighting and there was questions. And, and so it was Jethro that saw this and said, Moses, what are you doing? You're going to wear yourself out. You can't hear the cases of all these people. And what you need to do is you need to appoint leaders, leaders uh, that are going to hear these cases of thousands and hundreds and leaders of fifties and officers in each of the tribes, and so they can help you hear these different cases. And the qualifications were that they, verse 13, were to choose in Moses wise and understanding and knowledgeable men from among your tribes. Folks, as we minister to others, as we counsel others, and if you desire to be used in that way, you have to have these characteristics. You have to be knowledgeable, understanding, and wise. Be one that is knowledgeable in the Word of God. We cannot give good counsel or godly counsel if we don't know the Word of God, can we? And that's why it's important that we're studying the Word of God. And that's why it's important even that you guys are here on Wednesday nights as we're going through the Old Testament. You're going to pick up principles and, and you're going to pick, pick up truths and, and things that are important for us to understand that you can relate to others in situations that they are in. And so you need to be one that is knowledgeable. What does the scripture have to say about uh, certain things and, and be knowledgeable in the scriptures? We, we need to be students of the scripture, have understanding of the scriptures, and then be wise concerning applying the scriptures. You see, wisdom is just not knowing it, but wisdom in our own lives, it's being worked out in our lives, wisdom in using the scriptures to counsel others, being able to take the scriptures and apply it to their situation. Whether it's, you know, financial, whether it's a marriage, whether it's about raising kids, whether it's about ministry, all kinds of situations can come up. And I pray that we are ones, that we would be used of the Lord. And I think, really think that you guys that come out on Sundays and Wednesdays, you're studying the scriptures, God is going to use you, particularly in these days, because you are ones that are knowledgeable. You are ones that are understanding. You are ones that are wise. And you're able to give the, the wisdom of God and the knowledge of God's word to others as you counsel them. Give them God's word. And that's what Moses is doing. He's giving them God's word. He's explaining it to them so they have understanding and so they can walk in wisdom when they go into the promised land and be established and that they can be ones that are understanding what the word of God has to say. And we can be used in the same way as we are talking with others. Give them the word of God. But to know it, you know, or to give them the word of God, you've got to know it. And you've got to understand it. 
and then have wisdom, God's wisdom, and applying it in their lives. And so here is this case where these judges would be appointed. And in verse 19, as we read about Israel's refusal to enter the land, we do read, so we departed from Horeb and went through all the, that great and terrible wilderness which you saw on the way to the mountains of the Amorites, as the Lord our God had commanded us. Then we came to Kadesh, Bernia. I'm finding out, you know, the second time of going through the Old Testament here, that um, this point, Kadesh, Bernia, was a real critical point for them. And it really was. Kadesh was the place where Moses erred. Kadesh was the place where they refused to go into the promised land. So there's a lot of application that we can make. Mount Sinai was the place that received the law. Kadesh Barnea was the place where there was a lot of failure. And so they were to go to that place, to the border of the promised land. Verse 20, And I said to you, You have come to the mountains of the Amorites, which the Lord your God is giving us. Look, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up and possess it as the Lord your God of your fathers has spoken to you. Do not fear nor be discouraged. We saw over and over again in the book of Exodus, in the book of Numbers, that the Lord told the children of Israel what? That the land that is set before you is a good land, and it's a land flowing with milk and honey. I will give you the land. I will drive out the inhabitants. Go in and possess the land. That was specifically the promises that God had given to the children of Israel, just as Moses is recounting this now to this new generation. And so they were to go in and possess the land. But then something happened as we read verse 22. And every one of you came near to me and said, Let us send men before us. Let them search out the land for us and bring back word to us of the way by which we should go up and of the cities into which we shall come. The plan pleased me well, so I took twelve of your young men, one man from each tribe. And they departed and went up into the mountains and came to the valley of Eschol and spied it out. And they also took some of the fruit of the land in their hands and brought it down to us. And they brought back word to us saying, It is a good land which the Lord our God is giving to us. And so here, as we put Numbers chapter 13 and Deuteronomy chapter 1 here together, when you read Numbers chapter 13, it seems as though the Lord said, Send spies into the land. But this is really what happened. What happened was, is the Lord said to them, you're at Kadesh Barnea, go and possess the land. Go and take the land is what you're to do. So the people, they come to Moses and said, let's send some spies into the land. And Moses agreed to it. it. Moses here says, it pleased me well. And then God would allow it. And God would tell them, okay, send one spy from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. Now a couple things here. I wonder if Moses, as he's talking about this account where they failed in Numbers chapter 13, here being told again in Deuteronomy chapter 1 of that day, I wonder if he looks at it with real regret. There was no real reason for them to go and send spies into the land. The Lord had told them it's a good land. They went into the Valley of Eschol, which means clusters. They brought back a big cluster of grapes, remember, Numbers chapter 13. They were so huge, the cluster of grapes, that two men had to carry it on their shoulders back. And the people were going, wow, I imagine being out there in that hot desert, their eyes got really big when they saw that cluster of grapes. I think it was Joshua and Caleb that were carrying those clusters of grapes. That's my own opinion. I said, look at this. The land is good. The land is flowing with milk and honey. Well, of course it is, because that's what God said. He said it was a good land. He said go in and possess it. But there really was no good reason 
for them to send spies. It was the people that came to Moses. Moses agreed to it. The Lord allowed it. Why did the Lord allow it? I think the Lord was just allowing the revealing of their hearts to come out. And that was their hearts full of disobedience and unbelief and a hardness of heart to where their hearts were murmuring and complaining. And that was revealed in the book of Numbers very, very clearly. And he allowed their hearts to be revealed as he allowed this to take place. That they were a generation that he would say that you're an evil generation because of your unbelief and disobedience. They refused to believe the Lord. And we know that as they heard about the report from Joshua and Caleb, it's a good land. Let's go take the land. The Lord has given it to us. Verse 26 here says, nevertheless, always watch out when that word shows up. Nevertheless, you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. And you complained in your tents and said, because the Lord hates us, he has brought us out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. And where can we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our hearts, saying, the people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. Moreover, moreover we have seen the sons of Anakin there. In verse 29, then I said to you, do not be terrified or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you, he will fight for you according to all he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. And in the wilderness where you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son all the way that you went until you came to this place. Yet for all that you did not believe the Lord your God who went in the way before you to search out a place for you to pitch your tents to show you the way you should go in the fire by night in the cloud by day. And so a couple things here. They saw that as the spies came back, they heard about the report, of course, the 10 other spies that said there's giants in the land, there's fortified cities, they have walls that go up to heaven, the people are numerous, they're all over the place, and the people said we can't go into the promised land. But it's interesting here that it says that it was in verse uh, 27 that you complain in your tents. And a lot of times that's where the complaining starts. You know how that goes. In the break room at work, this starts going on about the company or the boss or a coworker. The complaining starts around a little circle of people, maybe at home around the dining room table. The complaining against and the murmuring against somebody or another brother or sister or whatever it might be. Oftentimes the complaining starts in the tents. Where the small groups begin to gather and begin to complain and murmur and, and begin to, to gossip and all these other things. Be careful. Be careful in the workplace that you don't get involved in those things. But you be honorable before the Lord and your speech and what it is that you allow yourself to listen to. And at home, parents, we need to be careful what it is that we say around the dining room table and at the dinner time because who's listening? It's the children. And I've had this happen. I know it may be hard to believe, but it's happened. That there have been parents that, you know, complain, 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 Pastor Jeff, Pastor Jeff, Pastor Jeff, as they're having roast pastor for dinner. And then they will turn around. They want me to minister to their kids who are listening to that. I can't do it. You see what I mean? So be careful. If you want to complain, come complain to me. I'll, I'll listen to you. And I'll be reasonable. And I'll 
open my ears to you and give my time to you. But the complaining oftentimes begins in the tent. And so we need to be careful, make sure that we give it to the Lord. And we give it to the Lord first and say, Lord, this is how I feel. And the murmuring complaining, as we are told in the book of Philippians, do all things without murmuring and complaining. It doesn't talk about if we have concerns. Certainly we want to raise those concerns. But there is a right way and an honorable way before the Lord to do it. Amen? So this complaining in the tent. It says in Numbers chapter 13 that there was a cry that went all throughout the camp of Israel. They're saying that here God hates us. God brought us out here into the promised land just to kill us. And they had such a warped perspective of God's view of them. And when we get to murmuring and complaining, it can really warp our perspective that we are to have, our perspective of God and other people as well. And here they were saying, God hates us? God had told them that you're a special treasure unto me. And here he had dealt with the Egyptians, and that's what Moses was saying. Don't you remember how the Lord, he fought for you in Egypt, and he destroyed the most powerful military in the world to bring you out into the wilderness, and he gave you a promise? And I love what it says here. It says, the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son all the way. That's how much he loves you. You know, in situations where we go through hard times or difficult times, we can start to think, Lord, you don't care, you don't love me, whatever it may be. And I want you and I to remember something, that the Lord is carrying you and I. He's holding us close to himself, and he'll never leave us or forsake us, as we saw in Hebrews, or are going to see, actually, that he will never leave us or forsake us, that he's always there with us, and his love remains for you and towards you. And never lose that perspective and that proper perspective of God's love for you and his compassion and his mercy and his grace. And here they are crying out, God hates us. People will say that once in a while. We hear people say, well, God doesn't love us. You know, God hates us and all of this. And we can tell them of the love of God because he loved us so much he sent his only begotten son. But don't you lose that perspective. And so here they were. They lost all perspective. God wanted to bring them into the promised land. He said he went in the way before you. Search out a place for you to pitch your tents. The Lord goes before you and me, guiding us and directing us. And his ways are good. And so remember that the Lord, he loves you so much that he desires the very best for you in your life. And so now we see the penalty for Israel's rebellion in verse 34. And the Lord heard the sound of your words and was angry and took an oath, saying, Surely not one of these men of this evil generation shall see that good land of which I swore to give to your fathers, except Caleb the son of Jephunneh, he shall see it. And to him and his children I am given the land on which he walked, because he wholly followed the Lord." Verse 36, I got that underlined. That he wholly followed the Lord. Because that's what I want for my life. Caleb was one that would end up taking that mountain of the giants, the Anakins that we'll see in the book of Joshua. And the Lord was also angry with me for your sake, saying, even you shall not go in there. It was at Kadesh Barnea at a different time 
that it would be Moses that struck the rock, and because he erred, he's not going to go into the promised land. And so, again, we saw that in Numbers chapter 20. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, who stands before you, he shall go in there, encourage him, for he shall cause Israel to inherit it. You know, what's interesting to me is is that Moses, we're going to see in the next um, couple chapters, that Moses pleaded with the Lord now that they were at the border of the promised land getting ready to go in. Lord, let me go in. Let me go in. And the Lord said, stop, Moses. I told you you're not going to go in. And Moses didn't go up on the mountain and say, well, forget you then. I've done my job, and, you know, I'm going to sit up here and pout. Moses didn't do that. He accepted what God had told him, and you're not going to go into the promised land, but he would always say to the people, encourage Joshua, and he would encourage Joshua. Maybe there's some place that you say, Lord, take me to this place. Take me to this place of ministry, to this place in my life. And the Lord is saying, no, right now. Don't go off and pout. But you keep encouraging and keep trusting him and looking to him. And that's what Moses would do to his last day. And so verse 29, Moreover, your little ones and your children who you say will be victims, who today have no knowledge of good and evil, they shall go in there. To them I will give it, and they shall possess it. Now you remember that it was the children of Israel when they said, We can't go into promised land. You know, Moses, you just brought us out here to die in the wilderness, and our little ones are going to die in the promised land. And now the Lord is saying, you know what? You guys, you were the little ones. Now you're going to go in and possess the land. And so they would truly go in and possess it, as again we see in the book of Joshua in verse 40. But as for you, turn and take your journey into the wilderness by way of the Red Sea. So what happened, of course, as we remember from Numbers chapter 14, is that after they were told they were going to die out in the wilderness, they decide, well, we'll go into the promised land. In verse 41, he answered and said to me, We have sinned against the Lord. We will go up and fight just as the Lord our God commanded us. And when every one of you had girded on his weapons of war, you were ready to go up to the mountain. And the Lord said to me, Tell them, Do not go up nor fight, for I am not among you, lest you be defeated before your enemies. So I spoke to you, yet you would not listen, but rebelled against the command of the Lord, and presumptuously went up to the mountain. And the Amorites who dwelt there in the mountain came out against you, and chased you as bees do, and drove you back from Seir to Horma. And then you returned and wept before the Lord, but the Lord would not listen to your voice nor give ear to you. So you remained in Kadesh many days according to the days that you spent there. So again, the children of Israel, after they were told, that first generation, you're going to die out here in the wilderness, they said, well, we'll go in and take the promised land. And the Lord said, no, don't go in by way of the Amorites. You're going to get defeated because I'm not with you. So they acted presumptuously, defiantly. And I pray that we wouldn't do that that we would always be sensitive to the leading of the Lord, but we wouldn't just act presumptuously or defiantly in what we think is right. But Lord, if you're not there leading us and guiding us and instructing me to go there, then I don't want to go there because I know it's going to end up being bad news. Chapter 2, when we turned and journeyed into the wilderness of the way of the Red Sea, as the Lord spoke to me, we skirted Mount Seir for many days. And the Lord spoke to me, saying, You have skirted this mountain long enough, turn northward. And command the people, saying, You are about to pass through the territory of your brethren, the descendants of Esau, who live in Seir, and they will be afraid of you. Therefore, watch yourselves carefully. Do not meddle with them, for I will not give you any of their land. 
No, not so much as one footstep, because I have given Mount Seir to Esau as a possession. You shall buy food from them with money that you may eat, and you shall also buy water from them with money that you may drink. For the Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hand. He knows you're trudging through the great wilderness. I like that, trudging through, and that's probably what it was like, just trudging through that dry, hot, barren wilderness these 40 years. The Lord your God has given you, and you have lacked nothing. And so as we enter into chapter 2, again, recounting Numbers chapter 20, uh, the journey through Edom, and you recall that 400 years previous to this, that it was Jacob and Esau brothers, and the descendants of Esau became the Edomites. And so he says, you're not going to go to war against them, but you shall buy food with, for them and, um, and drink uh, water. You're going to pay money for it. In other words, you're going to treat them right. And so you and I, as we journey through our lives, treat others right, okay? Respectfully and right, in a way, again, that the Lord, you know, it honors him. And that's what they were to do. And I like that. He says, don't meddle with them. Sometimes when any of us get in a position of any kind of authority, and we can do it at home, we can do it, um, you know, in places of work, you know, in that position of authority, we like to, to meddle with people. Show them who's boss, who, who really is calling the shots. Just don't meddle with people. I like that phraseology. Don't meddle with them. Treat them right. Treat them respectfully. And, and that's what we are to do with others as well. And then verse 8, And when we pass beyond our brethren, the descendants of Esau who dwell in Seir, away from the road of the plain, away from Elath and Ezion Geber, we turn and pass by the way of the wilderness of Moab. And then the Lord said to me, Do not harass Moab, nor contend with them in battle, for I will not give you any of their land as a possession, because I have given Ar to the descendants a lot as a possession. The Emmon had dwelt there in times past as people as great and numerous and tall as Anakin. They were also regarded as giants like the Anakin, but the Moabites called them Amem. And the Horites formerly dwelt in Seir, but the descendants of Esau dis possessed them and destroyed them from before them and dwelt in their place just as Israel did to the land of their possession which the Lord gave them. Now rise and cross over the valley of Zered. So we crossed over the valley of Zered. In the time we took to come from Kadesh Barnea until we crossed over the valley of Zered was 38 years until all the generation of the men of war consumed from the midst of the camp just as the Lord has sworn to them. So for 38 years from the time that they rebelled up until the time now that Moses is recounting this, this history they went through, 38 years. So again, we, you remember that as he remembers their journey through Moab, that in Numbers chapter 22, that they would pass through Moab and you recall that that was the beginning that we saw in those chapters where the king of Moab hired who? Balaam, right? It's interesting. He didn't have to do that. <laughs> the Lord said, don't meddle with them. Don't mess with them. Going to treat them right. You're just going to pass through. But when the king of Moab, Balak, saw them, he said, I got to hire this prophet here to come and curse them. He didn't have to go through all that difficulties. And it ended up that, of course, that Balaam, as we saw that interesting character in the book of Numbers that gave those prophecies, God would not allow him to curse the children of Israel, just bless them. We saw all that took place, but all that that took place, if he'd only known King Balak, 
the Word of God. He wouldn't have had to go through all that. But of course, he wasn't a believer. Sometimes we look at people's life and we think, man, if you just only knew the Word of God and was submitted to the Word of God, you wouldn't have to go through all the difficulties that you go through. But I pray most of all for you and I who do know the Word of God, that when we hear the Word of God, that it's worked out in our lives. Okay? That we wouldn't ignore it, we wouldn't dismiss it, we wouldn't argue against it, because our lives are going to be a whole lot easier if we're submitted to the Word of God. We obey and walk in obedience. We believe it and have it worked out in our lives. You and I have a wonderful, wonderful book here that we can look to to know the ways of God. And so here they would pass through and, and we see for verse 15 that for indeed the hand of the Lord was against them to destroy them from the midst of the camp until they were consumed. So it was when all the men of war had finally perished from among the people that the Lord spoke to me, saying, This day you are to cross over at Ar, the boundary of Moab, and when you come near the people of Ammon, do not harass them or meddle with them, for will I not give you any of the land of the people of Ammon as a possession, because I have given it to the descendants of Lot as a possession. Remember Lot, that Lot was the nephew of Abraham, Genesis chapter 19. It's not a nice story, but Lot uh, had relations with his daughters because Sodom and Gomorrah had been destroyed. So out of that came the Moabites, and out of that came the Ammonites. And so verse 20, this was also regarded as the land of giants. Giants formerly dwelt there, but the Ammonites called Zamsimim, and the people great and numerous and tall as Anakin, but the Lord destroyed them before them, and they dispossessed them and dwelt in their place. And just as he had done the descendants of Esau who dwelt at Seir, when he destroyed the Horites from before them, they dispossessed them, and dwelt in their place even to this day. And the Avam, who dwelt in the villages as far as Gaza, and Kaphtorim, they think Kaphtorim is the early name for the, the, the um, Philistines, who came from Kaphtor, destroyed them, and dwelt in their place. And rise and take your journey and cross over the river Anon. Look, I have given into your hand Shinon, the Amorite king of Heshbon, and his land. Begin to possess and engage him in battle. This day I begin to put the dread of fear upon the nations under the whole heaven who shall hear the report of you shall tremble and be in anguish because of you. So there are giants in Moab, there are giants in Ammon as well that ended up that the Lord destroyed. And I want to end with this. We'll end there and then we'll finish chapter 2 and just continue next week. The Lord can destroy giants that are in your life. And the reason that Moses is telling them this story is because they're going to be facing giants. And it was because of the giants, Anakin, that they said, we can't go in, we're but grasshoppers in their sight, and they wouldn't go in. And Moses is saying, listen, there were giants. There were giants in Moab, there was giants in, in Ammon, but the Lord dealt with them and destroyed them. And he can destroy the giants that are in your life as well, whatever that might be, that's causing you to fear and to tremble, that's causing you to doubt and be confused that God can do a marvelous work because any giant that you face, God is bigger and God is more powerful and God is faithful. So you look to Him and go and possess what the Lord has for you, whatever that might mean. And all of us face giants in our lives and know that God will see you through 
And the Lord will be with you and strengthen you. And we too can see the mighty hand of God working in the giants that we face. And so, Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for your love and encouragement to us. And these chapters as we go through it, Lord, it's not just a history lesson, but it's also, Lord, something that we can be encouraged in and by. And Father, I pray that we would never come to that point where the children of Israel did in their unbelief and hardness of heart to where we just have a wrong perspective of you. That Lord, even tonight as we come to the communion table, that as we hold the elements in our hands, remembering how much Jesus loved us, that he went to the cross for us and allowed his body to be broken and his blood shed for forgiveness of sin. And so, Father, I pray that you would minister to our hearts. If we're here tonight and we're facing giants, maybe we're here tonight and there's unbelief in our hearts. Maybe we're here tonight and we wonder if you still love us and care about us, if your mercy and your grace is still available for us. Lord, that we would come to the communion table and truly commune with you. And Lord, if there are things in our lives that are wrong, that is a loving Father that wants us to turn away from those things, to repent and turn to you, and to walk in your ways. And Lord, not to do things presumptuously or defiantly, but Lord, just yield completely to you. Our hearts surrendered to you, having your word being worked out in our lives. And Lord, experiencing that abundant life that you have for us. I pray if there's anyone here tonight that they feel dry and barren, that they've been wandering in the wilderness, that Lord, tonight would be a beginning where you start bringing them to that abundant life. That is that life of just your peace that passes understanding that joy unspeakable, your strength and your comfort. And Lord, I pray that you bless your people right now. 